Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us on this Good Friday. And I want to begin with a question. Have you ever been involved in a heist? And I hope you say no, but some of you know that I, when I was younger, I was involved in a heist. Yep, your senior pastor was involved in a heist. Now, when was it? What did I go for? What happened? Well, I was 16 years old. And me and a buddy of mine decided that we're going to go for the real expensive stuff. And this was around 1972. And so we went for uh, 8-track tapes. Yeah, that's right, 8-track tapes. And we got, uh, I got two of them. Now, some of you are thinking, what's an 8-track tape? Well, an 8-track tape was something that you would purchase, and it had, uh, it was like an album, but it was on a tape. And the tape was like huge. And you had these players in your car or at home, and you'd stick the tape in there. And you could listen to different tracks. You just press the button, change the track. And that was really cool technology back then. So I went in to get some of those things at Whitefront over in Riverside on the corner of Magnolia and La Sierra. The building's still there, but Whitefront isn't there. If you want to know what a Whitefront is, go look it up. It was a department store. Well, we walked outside. I had the tapes stuffed down my pants. And I must have taken two, maybe three steps outside the front door, and I thought, all right, I got the 8-track tapes. And all of a sudden, I heard the words, okay, hand over those tapes. And lo and behold, they were watching us. And outside that front door, white front, and of course, I said, like a smart 16-year-old, I said, what tapes? (laughs) And they go, hand them over. And of course, they had me and my buddy red-handed. They handcuffed me and my friend together, And they took us back to the back room of the store. We were arrested. Yes, your senior pastor was handcuffed and arrested. And they took the eight-track tapes, so my heist failed. But I want to talk to you today not about my heist and its failure. I want to talk to you about the greatest heist in history. And that was Jesus on that Good Friday. He goes to a cross, and he sheds his blood to rob, to steal, whoever would choose to follow him, to steal their sins away, to rob them of their sins. And I'm very thankful that he did. And I'm very thankful that I put my faith in him and he's robbed me of all my sins. But that is the greatest heist in history, when he stole our sins away. And so today, we're going to look at a part of that Good Friday on the cross story And then I'm going to relate to you four ideas and then bring it all the way back again to the greatest heist in history. So here we go. If you have your Bible open, you could turn to John chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 17 to 22. And here we go. It says this. They took Jesus, therefore, and went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him, two other men, one on either side, 
and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus, the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. <clears throat> so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write. See, they didn't like that sign up there. They said this. This was their complaint. Do not write the king of the Jews. But instead they say, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Verse 22, Pilate answers those famous words and he says, what I have written, I have written. In other words, it's a done deal. I'm not going to change anything. And this is it. That's the way it's going to go down in history. I want to give you four thoughts from this short text here. Probably many thoughts if we sat down and dialogued it. But the first one is kicking off on this idea, and that is this. Jesus robs a robber. On that cross, Jesus robs a robber. He's crucified between two thieves. Now, we know that Mark, in Mark's gospel, tells us that these two men were thieves and robbers. So Jesus now on the cross, there is one uh, thief on one side of him, one on the other side, and one of them turns to him in repentance, and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus robs that robber of his sins. Jesus is a robber, my friends. Oh, yes, he is. Jesus robbed a Samaritan woman, a five-time loser in marriage, and she's living with a man at the moment. Jesus robs her of her sin, her guilt, and her shame, and sets her life back on the right course. Jesus robs the sick and the lame of their disease and their disenfranchisement. Jesus robs blind men of their blindness. And here we find that Jesus robs a man next to him, a thief and a robber. He robs that robber of that robber's sins. But here's the tragedy. There's another man on the other side. And he's a robber. But this guy rejects Jesus. Now, can you imagine? Here's the God-man, Jesus Christ. Here is Jesus, who is the creator of all things, as we learn in the first part of this series. He's the creator. And it's proven that the creator of the entire universe. John calls him the creator. And here's the creator on the cross, and this man rejects him. Here Jesus invades this world that he created to save mankind from their sins, and the man rejects him. Let me tell you something about that. That might be the second greatest miss of all time. What's the first greatest miss, you ask me? Well, think about this. Earlier, hours earlier, in the trial with Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate asked Jesus these words. He says, what is truth? It's still the big question today, and people debate over it all the time. And people say there's no absolute truth. And when they say that, you say you're absolutely right, which disproves their statement. People say the truth is relative. But let me tell you, truth was in Jesus Christ, and we have truth. He asks, what is truth? And Pontius Pilate has the first greatest miss of all time. Truth is standing right in front of him. Here's Jesus. And he fails to recognize the truth was right there. 
So Jesus robs a robber of his sins. The second thing I want to say about this is that Jesus hung out with bad people. Now, we read through the story very quickly, and we don't know a lot of the background unless you read other books about these things in history of these places where he's crucified. Where Jesus is crucified, north side of Jerusalem, outside the walls, it's a place where the worst and the wickedest were killed. They were hung up on the cross. Understand also that in the Jewish mind, if you're hung on a cross, you're cursed if you're hung on a tree, if you're hung on a piece of wood. Jesus is hung on that tree, on that cross, and he's cursed. So now he's in the place where the worst and the wickedest were, and he is cursed. And he's hanging on that cross as he's cursed, carrying all these things. He's hanging on the cross with robbers on each side of him. I like that. And I'm glad. You're glad? Yeah, and let me tell you why I'm glad. Jesus hung out with bad people. He always did. Read the Gospels. Who are the people he always went to? The bad people, the sinners. They were labeled that by the Pharisees and scribes and the Sadducees. But Jesus always sought them out. Let me tell you why that's important. Because there just might be some of us out there that think to ourselves, you know what? I have really messed it up. And I have really committed some sins in my life and towards people. And I, how, could, how could I ever come to Jesus? Let me tell you right now, you can come to Jesus. He invades this realm that he created to come and get you. Yeah, you got to make it right with people once you receive forgiveness. And that's the wise thing. And that's reconciliation. But he comes to forgive you, my friend. He wants you. He went out of his way to come and get you. You know what? I read this a long time ago, and I've never forgot it. It's, you read the Gospels, you read the, and you realize that Jesus ate good food with bad people. <laughs> Isn't that something? He ate good food with bad people. And you know what? None of us, Romans 3 says, none of us sought after God. None of us is righteous. Not even one of us is. And he came looking for us bad people. And he found us. And he's looking for you. And you can come to Jesus. Jesus hung out with bad people. And I'm glad for that. The third thing I want to say is that Pilate answers his own question. Now, let me just sidebar and come back. Because I like stuff like this. For a long time... Um, people would say, historians would say, Pilate never existed, this story can't be true, there was never a Pontius Pilate, and then, of course, archaeology digs something up. Once again, as it always does, proving the Bible is true. <laughs> I love stuff like that, because we think we're so smart until something is dug up, proving what is stated here. Well, they found a, a, a rather large stone, limestone, it was carved. It was sent to Caesar Tiberius, Tiberius Caesar, from Pilate. And on the stone were the words inscribed in there, carved in there, Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea. And they found that thing and proving that Pontius Pilate existed. And if you have gone to Jerusalem, gone to Jerusalem with me or anybody else, you have seen that stone. You've seen that thing on Caesarea on the coast, that carved stone from Pontius Pilate to Tiberius Caesar. Now, <clears throat> Pontius Pilate answers his own question. When Jesus put on the cross, 
Pilate has an inscription placed on top of the cross, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. It's in Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. Now, this is a very important thing now. It's in the three languages because Latin, Roman Empire, Latin is the language of the world. It's in Greek because in the previous empire, the Greeks who were conquered by the Romans, it's called Hellenization, the culture of the Greeks. They uh, imposed themselves when they conquered and everybody learned the Greek language. So it's in Greek. So it's the language of the day. And it's also in Hebrew, which is the language of the Hebrews. Where Jesus was crucified, it was a main road where people would travel outside the north side of the walls of the city. And people could read it in whatever language they were most familiar with at the time. And it says up there, once again, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Now here is what is so interesting. And that is this. In Hebrew, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews, it's only four words. And of those four words, each of the four words, here the letters, here's what begins those words, yor he war he. Those are the Hebrew letters. Now, we know those letters in English as Y-H-W-H. You add the vowel sounds to it because in Hebrew it's written in reverse and you've got little jots and tittles at the top. And that's the word Yahweh. It's the word for God. Isn't that crazy? That the, these Jewish Religious leaders who wanted Jesus killed are looking up at that and they're seeing these four letters. You have to kind of wonder that maybe, just maybe, and I can't prove this is so, that maybe Pilate put it up there in that way just to stick it to the Jews, these religious leaders, because they put him on the spot and they forced him to have an innocent man, Jesus, crucified. Now, I can't prove that, <clears throat> but here's what I want to say. When Jesus was on trial before Pontius Pilate, one of the questions Pilate asked him was, are you the king of the Jews? And then Pilate puts the inscription above Jesus, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Pilate answers his own question. Pilate knew what the truth was, and he put it out there. Isn't that interesting? The fourth thing I want to say is this, that Jesus stays on mission. Now, this is incredible to me, and listen closely. Because Jesus is viciously, mercilessly beaten and tortured. He has gone through hell all night long, and in those trials, and the scourging before the crucifixion, and carrying the cross, and then nailed up there. And he's up there for six hours in excruciating pain. His back is wide open from the scourging. You could see the, in his organs in his back. They have mocked him. They have spit upon him. It is humiliating. They have stripped him. All these things. Question, what's missing from the cross that day? You know what's missing? You don't hear Jesus, Jesus cursing. You don't hear him cussing. You don't hear him blaming God. You don't hear him having a, a big tantrum up there. How life is so unfair. You don't hear him playing what is trying to be pushed in America right now. He's not playing the victim. 
Look, everybody's been victimized some way. But if you live in your victimology, you will never be what you could be, and you'll never take advantage of the things that are right at your fingertips if you so choose to make something greater of your life. Because God can do that. He doesn't play the victim. He is showing us a path to follow. But not one bomb is coming out of his mouth. Isn't that amazing? That's a lesson for some of us, huh? Because none of us has been crucified. None of us has gone through this kind of torture. And Jesus never utters one bad word. But here's what I want to tell you what he said. Because he says a few things, but this one's, it's, it's, in, I, I, it's incredible. Right after mankind has done the ugliest and most vicious things to him, here's what Luke writes. It says, after that, after it's all, he's on the cross. It says, but Jesus, it's almost like he's saying, they did this, but Jesus does this. It says, but Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What? They do this. They do all these ugly things. And Jesus says, but Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. <clears throat> what does that mean? It means that when mankind has done the ugliest things to him, you know what Jesus does? He intercedes for them. He's trying to bring him into unity with God and not create more division. Boy, that's a lesson for the media outlets of America, isn't it? Create unity. Quit creating division. Jesus intercedes. That's a lesson for us Christians, huh? After they've done the ugliest things to him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. He intercedes. We have so much to learn, don't we? We have so much to learn. Now, let me drive this home. March 18th. 1990. In a place called the Isabel Stewart Garden, Gardner Museum, it's in Boston. <clears throat> Two men disguised as police officers came there under false pretenses and they got the guards to open up. They quickly subdued the guards, duct taped them, tied them up. And 81 minutes later, they were gone with 13 masterpiece works of art from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. They were gone. The value? Half a billion dollars, these 13 artworks. It was the greatest heist of private property in all of history. You know that to this day, no one's been arrested? It's never been recovered? <clears throat> but here's the interesting thing. Those 13 pieces of works of art, some of them were paintings. And in that museum, if you ever visited, where those paintings were taken, the frames are still hanging. They left them hanging there. And the museum owners, they left the frames there too. As you walk through the museum and see all these works of art, you'll see the ones that were stolen, but you'll only see the frames. They, they left the frames, <clears throat> but the artwork is gone. It's considered one of the greatest heists in history. But listen, there's a greater heist, one way better than that one. It's when Jesus broke in and he stole your sins and mine.
He robbed us of all of our transgressions, of all the things that we've done wrong. Now I want you to think about this. Those two robbers came into that museum and they stole masterpiece works of art. Jesus breaks into our lives. And what does he do? He steals the sins of us broken, fragmented people so that he could begin a restoration process to bring us back to the place where we're the masterpiece that God originally intended for us to be. Isn't that something? We're a blank canvas. We come to Christ, he begins to repaint within the framework of our lives. A new us, a new masterpiece. And that's what he has for all of us. That's what Good Friday's about. As you're listening to me, I don't know where you are with Christ. I'm hoping you're all followers of Christ. That's my hope. But I don't like to take that for granted. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. Whether you're watching me right now live or later on this evening or later on the week or whenever you watch it. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never given your life to him, then today's the day. He broke in a couple thousand years ago to steal our sins away so they'd be washed by the blood that he shed on the cross. He's the sinless sacrifice. Pontius Pilate said, I find no fault in him. He was sinless. He was sinless. And he became the sinless sacrifice for us sinful people. But it's not automatic. And religion will not save you. This is not a religion. This is a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, his son. This is the way it was meant to be. That you actually could have a personal interaction, relationship with God. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that wild? Yeah. And I'm going to give you the opportunity right now. Because it is not automatic. You've got to begin to follow Jesus. And you've got to confess him as Lord. Or maybe you backslid. And it's time to come back. I hope you do. So I'm going to say this prayer. So if you're putting your faith in Jesus, you're becoming a follower of Christ today, great. Or if you're rededicating your life, great. But repeat this prayer with me and put your faith in Jesus as you say it. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me enough to come and rob me of my sins. Shed your blood to forgive me and please forgive me of all of my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. I put my life in your hands. Today, I become a follower of Jesus Christ, my Savior, my God, and my Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, allow me to pray for you. God, I, I pray for 
those out there that said this prayer for the first time or those rededicating. I just pray that you come to Jesus, you make your life's goal to get closer and closer to God, that you have a faith that's fired up, that you don't put your, take your foot off the pedal, that you walk with Jesus all the way, that you become a great evangelist for him and share your faith for the rest of your life, that you love people and yet stand for truth in a loving way. Oh, I thank you, Jesus, that all of heaven rejoices over anyone who repents and comes to you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, at this time, I hope you have your communion elements ready. As uh, Whether you're with family or friends or you're there individually, but we're going to take communion this Good Friday. Now, the night that Jesus, <clears throat> before he was taken to the cross, before he was betrayed, he sat with his disciples. And think about this. He's sitting there with people who one was going to betray him. The rest were going to abandon him. They're going to make promises and not keep their promise. And yet he's eating with them and he knows this. You see, he loves us. He loves us in spite of us. Could you start, could I start loving people in spite of them sometimes? Is that possible to be like Jesus? But that night he takes the bread. He says, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Jesus allowed his body to be broken, beaten, busted up for you and for me. Partake of the bread. That night, he takes a cup. He says, this is my blood poured out for you of the new covenant. You see, from that moment on, anyone who put their faith in Jesus, their sins were forgiven, washed away forever. What a great thing. Then I can start with a clean slate every day. And because I'm forgiven, I can forgive others. I don't have to walk around bitter and angry, seeking revenge. I don't have to do that. I can be free. You can be free. With that thought, let's partake of the cup. And now, <clears throat> let me pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this time that we got to participate in something that you said, do this in remembrance of me. We got to participate in fellowship with you during this time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us enough to save us, coming and being the sacrifice for our lives. Thank you this Good Friday. Well, what I want to point you to now is just to remind you that remember tonight, tomorrow night, 7.30, 9.30, we have the Easter Avenue of Lights here in the parking lot. Don't miss it. But we have a special song now. It's another New Beginnings original by our worship team. It's a special communion song. And I want you to thoroughly enjoy this as you continue to open your heart to Jesus this Easter season. Hey, God bless you. We'll see you soon.
And 
social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.